0: hello everyone and welcome to scream scene the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst my name is sarah and i'm ben thank you for listening to us today how are you doing ben
1: i'm doing all right how about yourself
0: I am doing good. I went and picked a shit ton of crab apples at my friend's house. 35 pounds of apples now lie frozen in our freezer.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, going to be enjoying crab apple flavored things for the foreseeable future. Yes. Isn't it great?
0: hmm <laughs>
1: Well, you seem a little tight left about
0: how you're doing. What if I could make your day even better?
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. I'm always down for good news.
0: We have a new patron. Nice. Uh, so thank you, Miles Labdel, for being our latest patron of the night. Uh, if you would like to be like Miles, you can head over to patreon.com slash scream scene podcast and join our cult, maybe. Mm. Wink, wink. Hmm? For as little as a dollar a month. At higher levels, you get access to bonus audio and other goodies. So if you want to check that out and be like Miles and our other patrons of the night, you can head on over to patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast. Thanks, Miles. What are we watching today?
1: Hey, Sarah, we are watching the very generically titled Curse of the Undead mm. from 1959, directed by Edward Dean.
0: Now, I remember you mentioning during like the tease last episode that this is a weird western
1: that's right so this film represents sort of our first foray into the weird western genre um which so weird western is actually like an umbrella term Mm. for um fantasy western horror western and sci-fi western so basically your your genre blends with western are typically filed under weird western okay Uh, The name Weird Western was coined from the title of the DC Comics series Weird Western Tales, which ran from 1972 to 1980 and starred the character Jonah Hex. However, the earliest examples of Weird Western genre-bending... Uh, came from the pulp magazines of the 1930s, such as the stories of Robert E. Howard in Weird Tales.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that um, the 70s seems late, given like examples that are coming to mind. So, cool. I'm glad that like it's just the term that came later.
1: That's right. On film, The Phantom Empire in 1935 depicted singing cowboy Gene Autry journeying underground to find a lost futuristic civilization.
0: Amazing.
1: The birth of horror and Western together on film, however, is widely regarded to begin with this movie, which was originally just a gag idea from husband and wife team Edward and Mildred Dean. Edward Dean was born in 1907 in Chicago, while Mildred Guilford was born in 1911 in New York. The two married in L.A. in 1939, which is also when Ed appeared in the film Manhattan Love Song and so disliked his appearance that he decided to work behind the scenes from then on instead. In 1942, he began being credited as a writer on several productions, including Calling Dr. Death, Oh, Jungle Woman, The Soul of a Monster, The Cat Creeps, and others.
0: Okay, so he is quite familiar with horror and horror-adjacent material.
1: Yeah. Beginning in 1952, he started working as a director, uh, co-writing the scripts to his films with his wife, Mildred. Now, I couldn't really find evidence one way or the other on this, but basically after Edward starts directing, all of the scripts are credited to him and his wife. Whereas before he started directing and he was just a writer, they're just credited to him. I don't know if his wife just suddenly started writing with him after like his career had been going for 10 years, or if it's more a case that like they were always a teen, but she wasn't being credited before. I don't really have any evidence one way or the other. Their six collaborations before this film uh, had recently yielded the 1958 Western Seven Guns to Mesa. And when they made a joke about their next movie being about a vampire gunslinger, (laughs) Universal International's music supervisor, Joseph Gershenson, remarked, Hey, smartass, the good stuff you don't give us. I want to make this picture.
0: Yeah, that sounds fucking amazing.
1: And so Gershenson produced this film with the deans writing the script and Ed directing.
0: Amazing. Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) The script would take a unique track uh, by returning to traditional European vampire folklore to depict its vampire, uh, specifically depicting the vampire in such a way that would be consistent with the Spanish Catholic culture of the story's setting. Okay. So sort of emphasizing those religious elements more. Um, and playing to that Um, but it also merges this with sort of the like typical story elements of a western like there's a an evil cattle rancher and things like that but it manages to do so without falling into cliches like the town sheriff isn't you know a shoot first ask questions later kind of guy like people act like normal people instead of like people in a western movie I guess you could say okay Uh, which I think is important for like horror to work because you want your characters to be normal so that they contrast with the horror rather than being cartoon characters. But that's just a theory on my part. I have not seen this movie.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense.
1: The film's heroic preacher. Oh my God. You know, because it's a vampire movie. So of course (laughs) the preacher is going to be the hero. Um, He's played by actor Eric Fleming, uh, who was not yet famous at the time of shooting for his co-starring role on Rawhide with Clint Eastwood. Born Edward Hetty Jr. in 1925, uh, he was born with a club foot. And as a child, he needed like crutches to get around. And this led to him becoming a victim of physical abuse at the hands of his father, who would regularly beat him up because he was small and easily victimized. Um, And so uh, Eddie attempted to murder his father with a gun at age eight. The gun jammed and Eddie ran away from home making it all the way to Chicago, where he became a runner for gangsters.
0: So would that be someone who's just like carrying the goods and running it from establishment to establishment? Yeah, like an
1: errand boy in Uh, a lot of ways, right? Um, At age 11, he was wounded in a gunfight between rival gangsters and hospitalized, whereupon he was sent back to his mother, who had recently divorced. As a teen, he joined the Merchant Marines. And then at age 17, he joined the U.S. Navy, uh, you know, in time for World War II. Uh, He worked in naval construction as a CB.
0: What's a CB?
1: So the CBs are the, um, like, construction battalion of the U.S. Navy. So you are in the Navy, but you're, like, building ships or, like, doing repair work or, or things like that. They're sort of like the engineering core of the U S Navy. Um, it started as like C B for construction battalion, but then like you're working in the Navy and you're like a hard worker. So now it's like CB as in like ocean, like honeybee kind of like CB. Yeah. Um, Cool. Yeah. Anyways, uh, he made a bet that he could lift a 91 kilogram weight That's like 200 pounds. Um, And so he lifted up this weight and like couldn't maintain holding it. So he ended up dropping it uh, on his face, um, destroying his forehead, nose and jaw.
0: Oh, my God.
1: He had to undergo extensive facial reconstruction surgery afterwards. But he actually saw this as kind of like a blessing in disguise because he had always thought he was really ugly and felt that he came out handsomer after the plastic surgery. Wow. Because like, I guess back then with so much of his face needing to be reconstructed, it was kind of like easier for the surgeon to just give him like a new face (laughs) rather than try to replicate his old one. And like, you know, he just ended up giving him like a handsome square jawed chiseled face.
0: That's wild. Usually that's kind of the origin story of someone becoming um, like a regular heavy in the movies.
1: Right. So um, after the surgery, he got a job at Paramount in set construction. Uh, So he worked as like a grip, that kind of stuff. Uh, He bet an actor $100 that he could do a better audition than the actor had just done. He lost the audition and the money and basically was like really resentful that like he'd lost $100 because he couldn't act. So he decided to go to acting school to learn how to act so he could earn the money back from acting.
0: Sure. He could also just stop making bets because it's gone terribly.
1: So he goes to acting school and uh, he began appearing on TV in 1951. He made his theatrical feature debut in 1955 in Conquest of Space using the stage name Eric Fleming. And soon after shooting Curse of the Undead, Fleming won the lead role on the Western TV series Rawhide. Mm -hmm. which ran for eight seasons, uh, though Fleming was not in the final season. So him and Clint Eastwood were like co-leads, and then it's just Eastwood in the last season. After the show ended, Fleming was highly in demand for guest-starring roles on shows like Bonanza. And during the shooting of High Jungle in Peru, Fleming was in a canoe that was overturned, and he was swept downstream and drowned. Two days before he was to marry his fiance, he was forty one years old. Whoa, yeah. So just kind of like a roller coaster life story from Jump Street with this guy. Yeah, the vampire in the movie is played by one of my favorite character actors of the nineteen fifties, who I kind of wish had had like a bigger career, Michael Pate. He was born in Australia in 1920. He got his start primarily in radio dramas before coming to Hollywood in the 1950s. We've seen him before in like supporting villain roles in 1951's The Strange Door, 1952's The Black Castle, and 1953's The Maze. And he is also remembered for playing uh, Clarence Leiter, British secret agent, in 1954's Casino Royale.
0: Right. He's ringing a bell now for um, us talking about him in the past.
1: Mm -hmm. Pate had a long, prolific career in uh, American film and TV before returning to Australia in 1968 and becoming more involved behind the scenes as a producer. He passed away in 2008 at age 80. The female lead is played by Kathleen Crowley, who was born Betty Jane Crowley in 1929 in New Jersey. At age 19, she was Miss New Jersey, and then she went on to the Miss America pageant. Um, She did not win Miss America, but she placed seventh and won a scholarship to acting school. So she began appearing on TV in 1951, remaining prolific on television for the majority of her career, particularly in Westerns. Okay. She retired after she got married uh, to have children and, you know, raise a family And she passed away at age 87 in 2017. Okay. There's a lot of other, like, established character actors in this movie. You know, playing the evil rancher and and a lot of the other roles. Um, Lots of, like, that guys. Um, But one, that guy, who I kind of want to draw attention to uh, is the town doctor, who is played by 54-year-old actor John Hoyt. Uh, who was sort of a lifelong character actor. He'd been acting since 1931 and would continue to work until 1987, passing away in 1991 at age 85. Some familiar appearances of his to genre fans would be his roles in When Worlds Collide, The Black Castle, a couple episodes of The Twilight Zone, X, The Man with the X-Ray Eyes, uh, a couple episodes of The Outer Limits and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, but he's probably best remembered overall as Dr. Philip Boyce, the original doctor on the USS Enterprise in the first pilot episode of Star Trek. Cool. Yeah, one of my favorite characters in that episode. Uh, However, um, it's worth pointing out that a majority of his film and TV work in this period was in westerns.
0: Yeah, so all of these people are pretty comfortable and established in the western genre. That's
1: right, yeah. Perhaps appropriately, like, the one who has the most experience in, uh, like, horror villain roles is the guy playing the vampire. Yeah. So, Curse of the Undead was released in May of 1959, supported by a pretty dope poster by artist Reynold Brown, who was kind of, like, the top genre poster guy of this era then and now it's been subject to kind of a mixed response uh some critics praise its blend of genres while others feel it's like gimmicky it recently got a blu-ray release from kino lorber and i do have to warn our listeners away from the tubi release which is god awful terrible quality
0: All right. Well, folks, um, I mean, if Tubi is the only option for you, I guess use it. But hopefully you can find another copy elsewhere. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude. And when we come back, we will discuss Curse of the Undead from 1959, directed by Edward Dean.
1: See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back to scream scene everybody we just finished watching curse of the undead from 1959 directed by edward dean sarah what did you think
0: this was very fun
1: yeah i would agree this is a very fun movie
0: very good horror movie um so so western
1: i feel like it gives you everything you kind of want from when you hear like the premise yes like it, it sort of ticks off all the boxes that you want it to tick off.
0: Yeah, it uh it's it's a lot of fun. I can't emphasize that enough. Um we wound up watching the tubi version. Not the best quality, but it is watchable. So I do recommend taking a look at this movie.
1: Yeah, if you can, you know, find the Kino Lorber Blu-ray at like your local library or something, like absolutely go for that. I will say on the subject of like vampire gunslinger. Yeah. So people always forget that, like, because this seems like it's a a strange, like, fish out of water, like, oh, a vampire in a Western. What? (laughs) And I feel like people always forget that Dracula is set in cowboy times.
0: There is literally a cowboy in in Dracula.
1: Dracula. Yeah. Spoiler for Dracula Daily. The cowboy kills Dracula. (laughs) Dracula. So so this all makes sense to me because Victorian era in England is Wild West era in North America. So like yeah, this this doesn't this all feels right, you know? Yeah.
0: Uh well, why don't I lay down the plot and then we can dig into it? You're giving me a gun
1: finger fingers. guns. Yeah, go for it.
0: Yeah, you're gunslinging the plot to me. Uh so we open with Dr. John Carter,
1: not of Mars
0: racing to a house call with his daughter Dolores Uh, for a young teen girl. She's sick. There's actually a bit of an epidemic in this town of young girls being sick. At the side of the teen girl is Preacher Dan.
1: (laughs) All the name he ever gets. Yes.
0: Uh, So he's been watching of the girl and the girl seems to be better, which is pretty good because a ton of girls have died. So um, Preacher Dan Doc Carter, as they call him, and, you know, the family besides the daughter uh, kind of go downstairs to let the daughter get some sleep, and then they hear a scream upstairs when they race up. Um, something just leaves the window, and the girl is dead.
1: Bum, bum, bum.
0: Preacher Dan sees two puncture wounds on her neck. So Doc Carter and Dolores head back to their ranch, and um, the Doc's son and Dolores's brother tim or timmy he's upset because he's gotten beat up by buffer their evil rancher neighbor he's a cattle rustler the doc heads back to town to go to the sheriff to be like sheriff buffers at it again they exchange words and the sheriff then goes to the saloon to have words with buffer while the doc heads back home and we see that as the doc leaves a a Cowboy in all black and a black horse follows after him.
1: I want to point out for our listeners who maybe, you know, aren't familiar with Westerns because this is a horror movie podcast Fair. that, like, this is like a very standard Western plot setup. Like, the innocent family, and there's like the greedy you know neighbor who's trying to like steal their land or steal their cattle or like you know push in on them in some way like there's a whole thing about how like buffer dammed the water supply and stuff to try to force them to sell and this is all like 100% just very common western genre tropes yes yeah
0: so um, in the saloon, sheriff and buffer chatted out we see that the doc is attacked by this dark clad stranger and he's killed now timmy and dolores think that buffer killed their dad um so tim actually goes and challenges buffer he gets drunk and you know tells buffer like oh you you
1: he goads him into a gunfight
0: yeah and so timmy gets shot and killed so now it's just dolores and she is very upset she wants revenge and so she puts up Posters to hire a bounty hunter, much to the dismay of her boyfriend, Preacher Dan.
1: Can I um, just make a a small correction? Yeah. Um, So he's like a gunslinger or an assassin. Um, A bounty hunter specifically goes after like escaped criminals or people who are like wanted by the law. So if like a private citizen is just like, kill this person for me for money, that's not a bounty hunter.
0: Uh, Okay. Um, well, to answer the call for an assassin, Drake Roby shows up, um, and he is the dark-clad stranger uh, with the black cowboy hat and all that. Um, now, he does have a bit of a confrontation with Buffer and his men, um, leading to one of his men to try to shoot Drake, and Drake then shoots the gun out of that guy's hand, and he's like, don't try that again. And the hired man is like, but I shot you i didn't miss hmm. Mm. hmm because bullets don't kill vampires guys uh <laughs> getting ahead of myself so drake goes to dolores and is like yeah hire me i'll do your stuff and um, she's like okay cool you can move into the house while you're here um since you're working for me now when drake and dan meet drake
1: sparks fly
0: sparks fly romantic comedy uh drake notices dan has a pin on his lapel that is like this button that has a cross and dan explains that actually this is a thorn taken from the site of the crucifixion um and so drake if you haven't put two and two together he's the vampire and now that he's been invited inside the house he begins drinking dolores's blood and um what is very unique i think just going straight out of the gate is he romantically kisses her as she's asleep and then bites her neck.
1: Yeah, there's been like a sexual subtext to vampires ever since Bella Lugosi, like a kind of charming thing. Depending on the movie you're watching, it might be like, well, you turn on the charm to lure in the victim, but there isn't really any like genuine feeling there. Or there might be like, an allegorical sex thing like with christopher lee's dracula
0: i think christopher lee has been the most sexual yeah but this is romantic
1: yeah this is the first time we're seeing a vampire who specifically has a romantic interest in his victims which is now of course a like major trope
0: so dolores is tired the next day um now she put up like quite a bit of a fight with Dan uh, when Preacher Dan was trying to talk her out of hiring an assassin. Um, but today she's tired and she's just kind of like, yeah, you know what? Okay. I-, I won't pay Drake to kill Buffer. However, Drake does end up sticking around as a ranch hand. He's like, you know, um, due to like some eyesight problems I'm having, I see better at night and the daytime I kind of get like a sensitivity to sunlight. So why don't you have me be a ranch hand to watch your place at night? To keep it safe from buffer. Meanwhile, Dan is helping go through Doc Carter's will and lockbox with Dolores. Um, And, you know, he takes it home to look over everything and he finds a book of vampire exposition hidden inside the lockbox. And it explains that back in like 1860, this ranch was owned by the Robles family. And this book of vampire exposition is actually a, a diary of the patriarch of the family, explaining that his son, Don Drago Robles, killed his other son for sleeping around with his girl. Um, and then due to the guilt of that, Drago commits suicide, which leads to him becoming a vampire. Now, the, the patriarch of the Robles family does try to, like, stop Drago, um, especially after Drago attacks his own sister By stabbing the body in the coffin. Um, But as he learns later that uh, a silver dagger isn't going to do nothing. You need a wooden stake. Conveniently, in this diary, is a photo of Drago, uh, who looks exactly like Drake Roby. You know, Drake Roby.
1: Drago Robles.
0: Yeah, it's actually pointed out in the movie that, like, those names sound
1: familiar. (laughs) Drake is a word for dragon in English. Drago is a Spanish word for dragon. And um, Dracula means son of Dracul, which is dragon in Romanian. So we're, we're, you know, we're being clever here, folks. Yeah, everything
0: is lining up here. Now, as Dan is discovering this, uh, Drake and a hypnotized Dolores are getting closer. Um, however, the sheriff interrupts and he confronts Dolores saying like, listen, that new ranch hand of yours is a hired killer. I don't want him in this town. He needs to go. Drake overhears this. Doesn't like that one bit. So he attacks and kills the sheriff that night. Preacher Dan is brought to the crime scene, and he's like, yeah, that's the sheriff killed in the same way as these other vampire killings. Um, And we get a really neat stalking sequence where... um drake's shadow is like chasing dan through the night um and they have a confrontation and this confrontation in dan's office is really interesting because they're talking very plainly about drake being a vampire uh and drake is like yeah god turned his back on me like what the fuck i didn't ask for this you should pity me yeah specifically is what he says and dan's like mm, you committed a mortal sin by committing suicide you deserve what you are getting
1: So this is like totally in line with traditional European vampire folklore. Like one of the ways you become a vampire is you commit suicide. Traditionally, uh, I believe suicides weren't allowed to be buried in consecrated ground. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, you know, you could be a vampire. This creates like a really interesting character in Drake uh, that sort of fits with like the Catholic guilt thing Mm -hmm. where like in medieval Catholicism, There was, you know, a big um, emphasis on like sins, but like you could sin and be a good person. And it's like, well, you're going to get punished for the sin, like with Drago committing suicide. And so he, yeah, has like a really interesting point. And it does make him different from Dracula, who sort of became a vampire by like making a deal with the devil kind of like where it was like an active choice of his to become Mm -hmm. a vampire.
0: Yeah, Dracula is dead and loving it. (laughs) Drake is not. Yeah. Um, And Drake's like, yeah, like, I, you know my story. I missed my shot at love. But now I have another shot with Dolores. Dan doesn't like that. And they do have a bit of a scuffle. But Drake escapes before, you know, anything can really happen. Um, So Dan is trying to convince Dolores that Drake is a vampire. And she's like no there's no way uh and by this point it's clear like she is fully under drake's spell she's not like being turned yet possibly um but she is fully like on drake's side and so dan says okay well let's go to the mausoleum and open up all these coffins to find his body dolores doesn't want to do that because two of those coffins have tim and doc carter her brother and her dad and so she refuses We get an end to the storyline around Buffer because Buffer and Drake have a confrontation and um, Buffer gets killed because you can't shoot a vampire. Well, you can shoot him. You can't kill him. So finally, Dan and Drake confront each other and they're going to have a shootout, which is surprising because preacher Dan has been like, you can't shoot people, blah, blah, blah. And before he ends up pulling his gun to shoot Drake, Dan puts a special bullet into his gun. And we see him shoot. Drake spins in the classic Western style of, like, clutching his heart and falls to the ground. And we see that the special bullet was Dan's thorn cross pin. Now, at this time, Dolores gets here just as the shots ring out. And she's like, no, she sees what has happened. And in front of her eyes, Drake's body disintegrates into dust. And she's like, what the fuck?
1: Guess he was a vampire.
0: And uh, she and Dan embrace and walk off to the church. And that's the end.
1: Yeah. So um, this is like a pretty smart script. Mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um,
0: Names could be better because we have Dolores, Dan and Drake. Sure. But you know, it's fine.
1: But like all of the sort of ins and outs with buffer makes sense. Yes. Um, the whole backstory with the ranch having been the one that like Drake is originally from is really cool. Um, there's a bit of backstory about how like the reason it's the Carter's ranch now is because of like the Spanish land purchase, which means like I think we're meant to be in California, and so like the difference is between like you know 1860 and 1890. What once was Spanish land is now American land. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that's really interesting and tied into like a neat historical thing. Like it really feels like the deans. You know, even if Vampire Gunslinger started as like a joke, like the deans really looked into like okay, if you're going to integrate vampire lore into a Western, how do you do it? And it's like, well, tying him to like Spanish Catholicism mm-hmm. works really well because you get in that religious angle that's like a core part of vampirism, but that like doesn't um, really fit as well with like Protestant religions. Like like I can't imagine like how does a Calvinist vampire work for instance like, <laughs> i was always meant
0: to be undead <laughs> right exactly
1: um but like tying it in with the spanish makes a lot of sense and it still gives you kind of like that old school gothic nobility like he's able to be a noble because he was spanish so he's yeah. still like count dracula basically and then like the idea that like oh the natural career to have would be a gunslinger because you're invincible like it's it's very intelligently thought out and then like you know to make the town preacher like the hero because like it's not going to be the sheriff who defeats a vampire. It's going to be, you know, the the, preacher, the cleric. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that this is really well integrated to the point where I consider this more than just a gimmick, Mm -hmm. either to spice up your Western or to like spice up your horror. I think it's really well integrated. I think the way that it handles the horror aspects are really well done. It feels like a horror first And then a Western setting because the shadows are at play here. The music at play here is tied to horror with theremin rather than like a twang guitar Western style. And particularly like just like moment of genius that the vampire is an all black on a black horse riding around in a spooky night. Like so good all over the place, Ben.
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to have like a conversation about like, you know, is this horror enough? Essentially, like, do we think that this is a Western with horror elements or a horror with Western elements? Because I was kind of leaning towards it's a Western with horror elements, like this is a Western, because you're talking about atmosphere, right? You're talking about like the look of the film, the sound of the film, those elements. And I'm thinking, I guess, more from a writer perspective and going like, well, but structurally, this is a Western storyline, where the bad boy gunslinger she called in happens to be a vampire right like that's
0: what's so interesting with this movie though is because yes from a script standpoint absolutely it's a western with a horror element but the filmmakers and like the making of this movie took it as horror first which you i think have to do if one of the genres you're doing relies so much on atmosphere rather than setting
1: sure i think that's fair I I'm inclined to feel like this is a western first with sort of like horror added to it um but I think I agree with you that there's enough horror that we can rank this
0: yeah and I, I will concede that, like, at times it felt like there were two parallel movies right. um, with Drake going after Dolores on one end and then the other being dealing with Buffer. Mm-hmm. But I really do feel like they really coalesced by the end. Yeah. Especially thanks to the role that Preacher Dan played in both. Luckily, yes. having been the boyfriend of Dolores to kind of like be the bridge between the two.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really well done
0: the dialogue too. I will just say like, yeah, you really like with the, what, like what Drake was saying as like horror movie stuff. And then like the Western stuff was just so like, Michael, peak Western.
1: Michael Pate gives a pretty great performance oh, as great. Drago. Like he really does well. I think most of the cast is pretty decent too. Um, For my money, Kathleen Crowley, who plays Dolores, is possibly the weakest link. She's not a bad actress. Um, I blame this more on like this was a B-movie shot in 18 days. But like occasionally her line delivery sounds like she stumbled and forgot her line and is like remembering it as she said (laughs) it. Um, So some of her, her performance is like a little weak because of that.
0: Yeah, I have to say that Michael Pate as Drake and Eric Fleming as Preacher Dan are like the MVPs. They are selling their roles and this movie and that tension between them very well.
1: Pate is having so much fun, like clearly, like he's just really relishing uh, this part, as he should. Uh, It's a good part. Mm -hmm. Like, and and yeah, not only is the script smart about like how it handles like the history, the genre blending, the vampire lore, um, which... Again, because it's a traditional folkloric vampire, he can go out in the sunlight. Uh, He's just like bothered by it. Which like mood. Right. I'm bothered by the sun as well. Exactly. But like the conversation scene between Dan and Drake where they essentially like argue theology is like really smart for a movie of this ilk. Yes. Yeah. That was really well done. I really liked that. You brought up the music. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so there's a theremin that plays whenever Drake's on screen.
0: And I I I love it. Part of it is because it keeps us so drenched in horror because as much as like we laugh at the idea of theremin as a horror music now, like it's a pretty standard go-to instrument for 1950s horror.
1: Yeah, it's a signal, right? Like it exactly. signals you what genre you're in. I will say just because of how the music is employed in the movie I do want to ask you a question yes is this music good or bad both <laughs> yeah I, it really I, is ain't it
0: because it's like uh i love the way it's used but it's also a moment of like laughing at the juxtaposition mm. of theremin as a tumbleweed
1: goes by right also just the way that like theremin starting like, is the cue for the vampire being on screen at any time? (laughs) Like, they are inextricably linked?
0: Yeah. I do want to kind of expand on that thought of yours, though, because I really liked this movie. Uh, And I think if this was a Western podcast, um, we would be so tired of the regular Western stuff. And we would like this movie because it's something new. Uh, Same with, like, some of the horror movies we've been getting, like we've never had a weird Western before. Right. So is this good because it's good or is it good because it's new? I think
1: so. I think it's good because it's new. I think like having those new elements, but I also think it's good because it's good because as we've pointed out, like there's a dozen ways you could do this genre mix and not be doing it as smart Mm-hmm. as this movie is like, we've identified that like the Dean's put effort into like making this a good movie when they didn't have to, because like I could imagine a really like cheesier, more poorly written, poorly acted version of this where I still liked it because it was a vampire gunslinger. Right. Yeah. Um, And also like we've pointed out that there's a number of things in this movie that sort of um foreshadow the direction that vampire movies are going to take like more towards that romantic angle and mm-hmm. like the tragic vampire who doesn't want to be a vampire. Right. Like this guy is halfway between Christopher Lee, Dracula and Gary Oldman, Dracula in like sure. that evolution of like, whoa, is me. I just wanted love kind of thing. He doesn't go as far as Louie or angel.
0: Yeah. God, no one goes as far as angel. Jeez <laughs> Louise. Um, That's besides the point. Uh, Cool. I I agree that it is both good because it's good and good because novelty.
1: Nice. Do we want to rank this?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: So I have like my list's a a little over 20 films wide. Mine's 16. Okay. So let me tell you a bit about like where I'm looking and, and we'll find out where you're looking next. So I tried to look on the list for things that were comparable And where I started was Catman of Paris. Sure, I can see that. Because
0: that was like um, Western directors. They weren't trying to make it a Western, but boy, does it have Western elements like the brawl in the pub.
1: And the carriage chase and stuff. Yeah, because it was Western filmmakers making a horror movie. So um, Catman of Paris is low. It's a 2.10. Um, And the list is currently 242 movies long so i was like okay well this goes way above that then and then the next thing i thought of was the vampire's ghost uh which is the one set in africa because it was also like similarly like an interesting twist on the vampire character and like giving Mm -hmm. the vampire character like a unique characterization um that's up at 138 and looking around that neighborhood i saw stuff like Soul of a Monster, Invaders from Mars, uh, Dracula's Daughter, that kind of stuff. And I thought, okay, I think I can go a little higher than this. So my floor is number 129, The Man from Planet X. I okay. think this is definitively better than that. Um, that movie's drenched in atmosphere and not much else. Um, above that is Dr. X, which you could argue is like more classically horror than this and might deserve to go above it. But uh, the ceiling for my range is 107, which is The Undead, as opposed to The Curse of The Undead, uh, which is the Roger Corman movie about Bridie murphy your way back in time to when you were a medieval witch making deals with the devil. Uh, and I thought that is like definitely more unique than this. Like This movie wins points on how unique it is, um, but ultimately it's like a pretty like standard Reese's peanut butter cup kind of deal. Like here's my chocolate, here's my peanut butter. But the undead is just like a whole lot of things. Um, But right below the undead is lady vampire. And lady vampire is also like, let's take very standard vampire tropes and like adapt them to a different culture. But I think curse of the undead did the better job. So that's my ceiling. So my range is 107 to 129.
0: So I will give you that The Undead is an interesting comparison point, but The Undead is riffing off of Bridie Murphy, not trying to bridge two genres together, and I think bridging two genres together is the tougher job. I am looking much higher than you. I first was like, okay, what other movie did I not really know what to expect but have so much fun with. And my eyes fell to the screaming skull at 53. Yeah, for sure. So that is my ceiling. Okay. Looking down from there, we have some really interesting films in here, particularly because we have a few of the other vampire in a different culture movies like El Vampiro, El Atal del del Vampiro. There's things like House of Wax, which is very gimmicky. So kind of interesting comparison points looking down this Frankenstein 1970, which is a bit of a, an attempt at a new spin on something that's a little tired of Boris Karloff makes a monster. But ultimately, I set my floor to be the Abominable Snowman at 69 hmm. because I was like, well, I think you could make the case that Abominable Snowman does horrific tension much better, but I don't think I would go below... That Right below that is The Return of Dracula from 1958 from Landris. Is that um, the one where Dracula's in
1: the suburbs? Yes. Ah. And
0: I think Vampire Gunslinger is better than Dracula in the suburbs, even though that movie does have some really interesting things to talk about for, like, immigration to the States.
1: The midpoint between our two ranges, um, if you're curious, is number 88, The Black Room. Interesting. Um, however... I'm inclined to agree with you that this is better than return of Dracula. And like, I think it's also better than uh, blood of the vampire or blood of Dracula, which are at 73 and 74 respectively. I think it's better than I was a teenage Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I'm sort of inclined to put this above return of Dracula, but below abominable snowman.
0: Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, because, yeah, Abomin- Abominable Snowman is really good. Uh, it <laughs> perfects this type of movie that we've seen that has been terrible. And it just does it so chef's kiss
1: well. Yeah.
0: Um. So, yeah, I'm happy with that.
1: Okay, entering the list at the new number 70, Curse of the Undead from 1959, directed by Edward Dean.
0: If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, ScreamScenePodcast.com. There you can find links to the many episodes we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our Ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter at underscore screamscene.
1: Screamscene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can listen to the show however you like by following our RSS feed, and if you'd like to help the show out, you can leave us a rating or a review. You could tell a friend about the show, or you could head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash scream scene podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Just like Miles Labdell. Patrons at the 5 and $10 levels get access to regular bonus content, and patrons at all levels get to vote in our monthly polls to determine our horror adjacent bonus episode right now we are voting to determine what the september bonus episode will be the theme is lon chaney senior movies and i think london after midnight is in the lead it sure is ben (laughs) so if you want us to watch like hunchback of notre dame or he who gets slapped uh make your voice heard by heading on over to patreon.com slash scream scene podcast
0: well before we get to the bonus episode what are we watching next week
1: next week sarah we are back in mexico for some mexican horror uh, we are watching Misterios de ultra tumba uh which in english um translates quite naturally to mysteries from beyond the grave or beyond the tomb yes yeah. Um, However, the English title of this movie when it was dubbed and released in America is The Black Pit of Dr. M. That
0: smells like an executive not knowing what to do.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, um, more Mexican horror next week on Scream Scene.
0: We will see you then, creatures of the night. Bye. Bye. Bye.